Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guiltiest Charge podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media, including our Patreon account, where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the show. Hey, Chargers fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Alex is unable to join us today, so it's just me and Tyler. Uh, Tyler, how are you doing today, dude? Uh, I'm doing very well, Stephen. Thanks for asking. Alex, I hope everything with your family is okay. Um, I also want to send out my heart to the Schottenheimer family. Uh, Marty, Hart- Marty Schottenheimer has currently entered uh, hospice care because of uh, his complications due to Alzheimer's disease. Um, I currently work in a lab where we focus on Huntington's disease, so I I kind of get the idea and, you know, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. It's awful. I feel terrible about it. Um, So wishing them all the best. Third thing I want to say, Stephen, officially happy anniversary. When you guys are listening (laughs) to this, it will be February 4th. Um, I can't believe it's been a year. It somehow feels both shorter and faster than I would have thought. Um, You know, everything I think that I'm weak at, I think you're really strong at. And so I think we've made a good duo over the past year. You know, I took a little bit of a break in the middle, um, but it feels good to be back. I think this podcast helped me get through, you know, the year, oh, yeah. the terrible season, you know, all these things. Just having, you know, looking forward to this, whether there was no news or tons of news, um, it's been fun. So happy to be here a year later with all the things we have going for us. Yeah, you know, it really has been. And I'm really hopeful that this, uh, this off season is a little more entertaining than last one, uh, yeah. you know, covering a, a team uh, that had just come off a losing season with COVID that was, you know, we had to stretch our creativity a little bit over the summer and, uh, you know, Jason, I, I just and quit. Then Alex. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were on break. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I want to give my, my thoughts and prayers out to the Schottenheimer family too. My grandfather uh, had Alzheimer's too. So it's, mm. uh, it is not a fun experience to see someone who you cherish go through those kind of things. And uh, hopefully, you know, I'm just wishing for the best for them and that family. So mm-hmm. um, we're going to go over some Chargers coaching news. And then 
Um, there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter by other fans and things like that about the Chargers and what they should do at the wide receiver position. And uh, we have been planning to do kind of a free agency buildup and, and as well as kind of address draft needs, um, breaking down each position group. And so we're going to start today with the wide receivers. And uh, I can't wait. Tyler and I have each been studying the wide receiver class of the draft prospects. And uh, it's been a lot of fun over the past couple of days to get into that really uh, into the nitty, nitty and gritty, so to speak. So uh, let's start with the coaches, though. I think the biggest one that we haven't really addressed is the quarterback's coach who is going to be Shane Day. Uh, he has done a lot of great work in San Francisco uh, with Kyle Shanahan as the quarterback's coach. And he was also an assistant offensive line coach in Washington when Sean McVay is there. So I'm really excited about this hiring. Um, you know, he's got a lot of experience in the Shanahan system. Um, and, and really, you know, everyone who knows me knows that I've been wanting Justin Herbert to get a piece of that, right? And so I'm really excited about this. I think this is going to be a good hire. I know everybody's sad to lose Pep Hamilton and what he meant to Justin Herbert. Um, but I really think, you know, Brandon Staley is melt is building a really good coaching staff coming from a lot of different offensive backgrounds. Uh, and Shane Day is really just another example of that. Yeah, this guy's coached almost every offensive position. Um, I don't think his like his experience and resume makes as much of a good hire, though, as his relationship, I assume, with Shanahan and the ability to carry that flavor over here. You know, he's going to be he's going to be in Herbert's ear telling him how to run that particular offense. I don't think it'll be exactly that offense, um, but it could be. And if that's what Staley is trying to implement here, great. And if everything works out, you know, some of the chatter about hiring Staley was them losing, you know, offensive coordinators every year or every couple of years or whatnot. I mean, having chain day to just switch in right to offensive coordinator should Lombardi leave for a head coaching gig or be fired perhaps. Um, sounds good to me. So, yeah. you know, for him to go from his quarterback coach, teaching him this particular system, you know, being in his ear the rest of the way, I think that's great for Herbert. It does sting that Pep Hamilton leaves, but it's better now after one year, you know, if Staley's the head coach, you know, and Lombardi and Day and all these guys are the right guys for the job, then moving forward, Herbert will have the same system the rest of his career. And so I think this is a great start for him. Yeah, you know, and, and Brandon Staley talked about building a system around Justin Herbert yep. and, and being able to not impose one system on him. And that's really what we're seeing with the offensive staff. You know, Joe Lombardi and Frank Smith have a plethora of experience in the New Orleans State system that has been so good over the years. You know, mm -hmm. Shane Day and then uh, Kevin Coger is, is, you know, going to be the tight ends coach. He was a quality, con quality control coach in Green Bay. Uh, so he's got some experience in the Kyle Shanahan system through Matt LaFleur as well. So there really is a very nice molding of offensive minds going on. Add in the assistant offensive line coach, Sean Serrett, who's coming from Pittsburgh and who worked under Mike Munchak, who, you know, I know a lot of people don't really know offensive line coaches, but Mike Munchak is one of the best in the business. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to say he's in Denver right now. Um, he's done a lot of great work. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else, but um, I don't know. You know, <laughs> and, and Pittsburgh, has, Pittsburgh has been another, you know, offense that's been really, really, you know, one of the top tier offenses over the last few years in the NFL too. So um, I think Shane Day is building a really good staff uh, in Los Angeles. It's a great, well, I assume it's going to be a great staff. I love that he's taking guys from different backgrounds, aside from the fact that they're all connected to Staley in some way <laughs> at some community college or some like newspaper company or whatever. He's finding guys that 
are so multiple. I think he talked about being multiple or there. I think that was Ronaldo Hill that talked about being multiple. I don't know. Every coach that I, that, that every coordinator that has spoken or every coach that he's brought in as a position coach, they all seem to be on the exact same page as Staley. You know, here's what I want to do. We're going to be multiple. We're going to be, you know, put stress on the opposite side of the ball. You know, we're going to put our players in the best positions. We're not going to force them to be one thing. You know, everyone's going to have input. We're going to be the best team that we can. And I love that. And the fact that Staley has, not with all of them, but with most of them, some sort of relationship already, I think that's really key. I mean, that's that's why we started, you, Jason, yeah. and I. That's why we started, because we knew each other. We had kind of worked together already. So it was easy to just go, okay, we're going to start now. You know, finding somebody else, you know, randomly would have been really much more difficult. You know, but working with the three of us and having that synergy already is so good. So for, I really like the way this staff is coming together. It remains to be seen what the heck they want to run. Yeah. They do have to go get some pieces and they definitely need an offensive line. But for now, I do think they have enough minds in place to make this a very, very good and perhaps unique offense moving forward. Yeah, obviously, you know, the offensive line is going to be something that we're going to continue to talk about. But, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, coaching, it, it's all about relationships. And whether that's you, mm-hmm. you know, Anthony Lynn and Gus Bradley didn't have any prior relationship, like to my knowledge, at mm, least. So, right. They really, it was just, a you know, they matched up philosophically, goodness, can't speak tonight. (laughs) But, you know, there's different ways to attack coaching. You know, Brandon Staley, I don't know if he's, he knows all of these coaches. I don't think he knows, you know, like Derek Foster, the running backs coach, for example. But, you know, there's different ways to attack it. And, you know, a lot of guys tend to, you know, work with who they know. And, you know, we've seen that time and time again in New England when Bill Belichick will lose somebody to a different staff. They'll get fired from that staff and they'll go right back because mm, Bill Belichick is comfortable with that person. You know, we, we even see that in Kansas City. Like Kansas City has, you know, every single person that is on the Kansas City staff was also in Philadelphia or Green Bay with Andy Reid. So, you know, coaches do this and it's all about who you know. And, you know, we've talked about, just the communication and disconnect that was happening with Anthony Lynn and his staff. I don't think that's going to happen now because Brandon Slady knows all these guys. He has relationships with these guys. Like you mentioned with us, yep. like there's that synergy. And, and so it, it's just exciting. I don't know if the chargers are going to be better. I don't know if they're going to be contenders, but I know that they're going to be, you know, more well coached because the communication is just going to be that much improved. Well, that alone is the key right there. Just being more well coached. And be able to communicate, you know, I'm, I, I always go back to this, but why in week 17, am I hearing at halftime that the Chargers want to switch to more man against the Chiefs? Yeah, it's like, what, like, what, do you, what happened? And there's just that disc, like, it was never really discussed by Lynn. But there was that kind of disconnect between Lynn and Bradley. And you know, Lynn's like, Oh, I'm gonna put more, you know, put my hand in the defense a little bit more. And then whatever happened with Ken Wisenhunt, where they needed to fire him. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Shane Steichen and Lynn having like, kind of arguments on the sideline, like, well, I didn't call that, or I didn't want that. I wanted a timeout. I wanted to kick a field goal. I wanted to run the football. Yep. You know, everything for better or worse is going to come from Staley. And I just think it's going to be so refreshing. We're going to go from the most frustrating, like, game management season I can remember to yeah. maybe, like, the smartest uh, game management we've ever seen, or at least the most aggressive, or at least the, the best attempt at trying to win. We have not seen that for a while. It's what made the 2018 season so special. I think Kansas City going for two. Yep. You know, and so just having that mentality moving forward, it's going to just have such a great ripple effect across this organization. And I, I'm really proud to say that I, I think the Chargers have turned a corner and are trying to finally be a legit organization. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, uh, 
emphasis on analytics this in this hiring hmm. and yeah you know it, it's just they said that they were looking for innovation and you know we'll see obviously it seems like everybody's saying the right things yep uh but i i mean it really does feel like they're saying the right things and so you know I, i'm really excited about this Derek foster the running backs coach who i mentioned uh is coming from iowa and and michael peterson the resident iowa fan <laughs> on Chargers Twitter was very happy about it and we'll see um like I mentioned I don't know if he knows Brandon Staley previously mm-hmm. but you know he's done obviously a lot of great work at Iowa and, and the thing that I'm personally excited about is that you know Iowa and their offensive line it, it's mm. just beautiful to watch and so I don't know if he's going to be able to target any Iowa offensive linemen in the draft or anything like that but I just think that the offensive line is going to go in the right direction because all of these coaches have come from places with strong offensive lines, whether that's good call Marty and Frank Smith, you know, Kevin Coger. I mean, obviously green Bay has one of the best offensive lines, you know, Brandon Staley and the Rams and the, and even the Broncos offensive line was better than chargers. So, you know, the emphasis on the offensive line, I think is going to be huge. And obviously we'll cover all of that and talk about that. Um, but I'm excited about that part of this coaching staff as well. That's a really good point. I didn't, I mean, I kind of pieced it together with Lombardi because, you know, the Lions had a good offensive line and the Saints had a good offensive line, but you're right. A lot of these coaches came from places with really good offensive lines. That's a good point, which is great because that pick at 13 is a sweet spot to pick one and there, and round yeah. two and round three and that other <laughs> round three pick and every way till seven and undrafted free agents. Oh, yeah. Um, is there someone in the draft that's from Iowa that's any good? I haven't watched enough uh, of those guys. Um, you know, there's Alaric Jackson who played right tackle for them. Uh, okay. He's not my favorite. Tyler Linderbaum is the the center there. I think T- Linderbaum is is a really solid, you know, day three interior offensive okay. lineman prospect. So I would think that it, it could be something. Um, I think Alaric Jackson is a nice developmental tackle. I know everybody kind of hates that phrase because because of Trey Pipkins, but um, you know Linderbaum is someone that I would be really interested in, in potentially you know snagging in like the fourth or fifth round. Um, and you know I, I think I want to say he is like a former tight end or something like that. So there is some good athleticism there as well. See, look at that. Steven does things that I don't do well. He knows everything. <laughs> he has. He has. <laughs> When we do our first live stream and you ask questions, I'm just going to sit there and let Steven answer everything. He knows everything. He has like, like I, I don't even know if you've put up grades for those guys yet, but you just talked about them. Like you already like studied them, which is crazy. And you knew well, that one guy was a tight end. Yeah. Uh, I have not studied Lind- Linderbaum extensively, but I remember watching Alaric Jackson last year when I was studying Tristan Wirfs. And, mm. um, you know, I did like his potential. I was hoping that he would take out the step forward this year. Um, and I haven't watched any of the 2020 tape, but based off of the senior bowl, uh, that step forward did not happen for a large Jackson. So, uh, mm. we'll have to see, but, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited about the offensive line prospects. If they drafted nine offensive linemen, I would be thrilled. <laughs> like, <laughs> like giving offensive linemen at every pick. I know. I, I like how in Daniel Popper's, uh, article the other day, he was like, this might be snarky, but they need talent upgrades at all five spots and it's true they do they do they need they're going to end up needing four if they cut turner which i think is going to happen and we're we're going to talk about that at some point and they're going to need a guy behind balaga for 2022 probably so they really at least they probably need five guys so good luck yeah good luck man so 
Uh, we wanted to talk about the receivers today as well. And so you, you and I have been texting back and forth today about Tutu Atwell from Louisville. Oh, yeah. um, he's a fantastic talent. And I'm really excited about this receiver class in general. Um, you know, Cornell Powell from Clemson is another guy that we've been yeah. talking about. Uh, and then the other Louisville receiver, uh, Des Fitzpatrick. So let's let's talk about this first. You know, we, we talked about Mike Williams potentially being involved in you know, in an Orlando Brown trade and, you know, the guys at Bowlby have been talking about potentially cutting him. Mm -hmm. I think that Mike Williams is going to be on the team with his current price, but what do you think they should do with Mike Williams this year? It's so tough because there's no real good answer. On the one hand, I think he could be a good number two. And at times he has shown to be a decent number two. On the other hand, he costs a lot of money. On the third hand, I don't have. The Chargers don't really have a spot to be able to invest in a wide receiver early enough to replicate what he does unless they believe like a Cornell Powell, Ray Fitzpatrick, you know, those guys that we're talking about can replicate Mike Williams. I think they can eventually because I think Mike Williams at this point is a bit of a one or two trick kind of pony. Um, As talented as I think he is, he just hasn't evolved. Um. So what to do with him? I What I don't think you can do is extend him. I know that cap hit is going to suck this year, especially when the, the cap is so low or so much lower. But I wouldn't extend him. Like if, if the Chargers had extended Hunter Henry prior to last season, I think that would have been a risk. I think it would have paid off so far for one year because Henry was pretty good this season. But Henry's issues with injuries just kind of feel like football things that happen Mike Williams has come out and said that he doesn't care about his body. He just <laughs> wants to make the catch, which is yeah. like kind of a good mind. Like, yeah, you know, I don't care what happens. I'm just going to make that catch. Like, that's good. But the guy is down on the field like like he's Mufasa when he's dead oh, like four times a year. He just lays there. He ends up being kind of fine. He pulls it together for the next game. But you, there's no longevity in that. Yeah. There's no I mean, and unfortunately, he hasn't developed in a way that you could say, okay, moving forward, Mike Williams is going to have that part of his game still, but he's going to also be able to do these other things. He, he really doesn't right now. Some would argue that's because that's the way the Chargers have used him, uh, maybe, but I just don't think he's ever been a guy who can consistently get up, you know, across the middle um, and get open in the middle. He's more of like that side that sideline guy, which is good. It's important, um, but you can, I think you can replicate that. Maybe not replace it entirely this year, but you can certainly replicate some of that. Because the Chargers, you know, some of their worst losses and some of Justin Herbert's worst performances were because all he would do is target Keenan Allen and he wouldn't yeah. know what else to do because there's nowhere else to go. You know, there were, it's like, why? Like, like, I know Keenan Allen's good, Justin, but <laughs> yeah. you've got to stop targeting it at, at some point. But there really wasn't another guy. And then when you have no offensive line, you take away everything deep, you know, what there wasn't a whole lot for him. So I agree with you. I think he will play on this one, one year, I guess, contract right now. I just don't think they'll extend. I don't, I just can't extend him. I can't get behind that as much as I like him. I can't get behind that because there's no longevity there and you have to give him a legit deal. It's not like, you know, maybe, I don't know, Michael Davis or like, I mean, okay, let's say like Forrest Lamb. You can give him like a two year deal where you get out after one year. You can't really yeah. do that with Mike Williams. I don't think you have to give him, you know, not high tier money, you probably have to give him three or four years. So I just think you're stuck with what you got and make it work with the rest of your players with the low cap. Yeah, that really is what I think as well. You know, I would, 
personally, like if it were me, I would love to see, you know, them give him like a two year extension mm-hmm. and then kind of, you know, like you said, have an out after year two and, and be able to restructure the contract so that mm. this year's cap hit is, is, you know, minimized a little bit and you can push them for next year when you have potentially, you know, a 201, 204 or whatever the case may be cap it instead of uh, Tom Pelissero did just tweet out that it might be uh, 185, which is fantastic news. Okay. That was That's more than what it was previously thought mm-hmm. to be. So I, I would love to see that for Mike Williams, maybe like a mini extension. I know it's not going to yeah. happen. I think it's going to be, you know, you're either going to keep him on his current price tag and hopefully you know, he's able to either outproduce that and yeah. then you can extend him or he outproduces that. And then he, then he prices himself out of Los Angeles, which I hate to right. say that. I, I love Mike Williams. I think he's so yeah, much fun to do. watch. And, mm-hmm. you know, you brought up Mike Malcolm Floyd the other day. They're very similar players. Like they really just, you know, throw their body on the line. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, giving him a four or five year extension, just like, it's not something I'm interested in. And, you know, I do think they'll take a receiver at some point in this draft because they have nine draft picks. Like, you know, they can afford to take a, a, a swing on a receiver. You know, we sure. haven't really seen much out of the other draft picks that they invested in. And obviously, when you're two, when your third and fourth best receivers are undrafted free agents, that's kind of a problem. Um, yeah. But, you know, we'll see what happens with Mike Williams. I, ultimately, I do think that he's going to stay on that price tag. And, you know... I would love to see some improvement. I really would. And, and everybody in training camp said, oh, Mike looks great. Mike's improving his route running and Mike's doing all these great things. You know, but then you watch him against New Orleans and he runs that slant. He barely gets any separation, mm-hmm. catches the ball and immediately goes down. And like, if that were Keenan Allen, that would have been a first down and the Chargers would have won the game. Like, that's just the reality of the situation. And he, he's a great jump ball guy. Sure. That's all he is right now. That's all he is. And I love Mike Williams. It's so much fun to watch, but you know, we have to have this realistic conversation. He's a jump ball guy and a deep threat and that's it. And I'd be more, I mean, I wouldn't be okay with paying 15 million a year, but I would be more okay with the whole situation. If he were, you know, able to play 15 games, 16 games, and he would, maybe he was just a jump ball guy or a guy who takes a drag to the house or something. And that's about it. And that's okay. He's a wide receiver too. He will never be the wide receiver one on this team unless Keenan Allen gets hurt. Um, but he doesn't play enough games for me. Like he just, yeah, I'm just not, uh, it sucks. It sucks that I don't want this player that I really like on the team. I don't remember the last time I had a player that I liked so much that I also just wanted to kind of get rid of. Too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, they have nine picks in the draft more if they've trade back, which I think is a strong possibility this year. Um, given all the holes in their roster and the cap issues. So yeah. There's, there's enough receivers in this draft and we can talk about that in a sec that I like that you don't, I mean, I've watched a lot, but there's enough that I think you can make that move and just prepare for the year after this, where you don't have Williams. Yeah. I think that's well said. So uh, before we get to the draft guys, you know, it, it really is a, is a frustrating spot for the chargers to be in, in terms of drafting a receiver, because you know, they did draft KJ Hill. They drafted Joe Reed, but we didn't see like, anything out of them yeah and so like could they upgrade that spot and get some more depth and get a great playmaker there sure like could they draft you know a 2-2 outwell in the third round i would be i would be thrilled with that selection but you know they also have these two other guys who we just haven't really seen 
Um, so do you like, I don't want to, they're not going to move on from them, but like, what do you think yeah. we can expect from Joe Reed and KJ Hill this year? It's so tough. I would imagine that what they can do this year is kind of what we expected them to do last year. I'm hoping with an off season, maybe a more competent coach, obviously having reps with your starting quarterback that you did. Well, I take that back. I think they would, they would have had reps with Herbert in training camp because yeah. they weren't starters. Um, what are you going to do with them this year? <laughs> what do I expect out of them? <laughs> it's tough because we didn't get to see much of them. It's kind of like the issue we're having with the whole roster where it's like, well, you know, I kind of want to cut Chris Harris and I want to cut Trey Turner, but we also didn't really get to see them in their full, you know, potential. You know, maybe we're, ta- we're starting to talk about bringing in someone's not replacement, but you know, signing some sort of high paid backup for like German James or Drew Tranquil. Cause we don't know because we didn't see them. And so these guys are kind of the same thing for me. We didn't really see Joe Reed. We didn't really see KJ Hill, um, except for early on. So I don't know. At this point, um, I think the bonus of having a new head coach is moving on from, you know, the old guard or some guys that just were sticking because they were Lynn guys or because they were Bradley guys or whatever. Um, so at this point, I think there's a spot for both those guys, yeah. but they do need a mike williams light or someone who can with a little bit of size who can separate maybe like andre fitzpatrick um yeah i don't know what to expect from them this year it's just so it's so tough to gauge because i know the talent's there like i know joe reed is talented but then they just didn't activate him for any games and i know yeah. kj hill is, is talented um and i didn't watch enough kj hill tape to be able to tell you how he did on his routes and how he looked um i guess we'll see what do i expect out of them <laughs> hopefully one of them gets a job yeah. i there's there's a spot on this team for joe reed i don't know about kj hill well not like a starting role for kj hill i think there is a spot for joe reed to succeed in this offense i just don't know what that is yet especially because i was so confused during training camp hearing that he was taking reps at running back and then he ends up being not at all a running back so i don't even know what i don't know really know where he fits because i, I know he has talent yeah but the coaching staff really confused me last year. I guess we'll find out. I would just take a guy and let it battle out. Yeah, this coaching staff did some really confusing things, man. And like, it was odd. It seemed like they were kind of like building and building for Joe Reed to like figure out a role for him. Yeah. And then in, they gave him, you know, two or three touches against the Jaguars. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, yeah. Oh. Like, you know, he, the Chargers need, like, if you're looking at the four main receivers for the Chargers and Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Jalen Guyton, and Tyron Johnson they need a fifth guy to be yeah. like a yards after catch guy. Like they need some sure. elusiveness and that's what Tyro Williams brought to the team. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was speed. That's why he was so good because he could take a slant and take it for 20 yards. He could take a hitch and he could take it for 20 yards. Mm-hmm. They don't really have that, but I think Joe Reed could be that. Yeah. And you know, that's why, I, you know, I would love for them to get like a Tutu Atwell or, or an Amari Rogers because they need that yards after catch guy. Mm-hmm. And so there is a role for him, and I know that there is. And the fact that he was taking running back snaps, I was like, at the time, I was like, okay, there's really going to be a really exciting role for Joe Reed, be able yeah. to be, you know, this team's version of Debo Samuel, get two or three carries a game, and then you get, sure. you know, two or three catches a game, and, and hopefully you break one and pop a, pop a big play. So I think there is a role for him. I think K.J. Hill, you know, <laughs> the steal of the draft talk, pumped by me and by others was, was very premature. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I had a third round grade on him. I really did. And he was a, a receiver that I really liked because he's a very good separator and he gets open yeah. and the chargers need a second one of those too. And so I think that there is a role for him. I just don't know. Like to me, you bring in more bodies and then you, you let itself, you let it work itself out because you just need more talent yeah. and you need to give Justin Herbert guys that can make it easy for him, whether that's a, a separate, another separator or another yards after catch guy, they got to get some more easy plays and not have, you know, the offense be okay. I'm going to chuck it deep. And if it's not there, I'm going to go Keenan Allen for right. 17 targets. Like I love Keenan Allen. I think he's sure. an amazing receiver, but this team needs more easy plays. And if you look at like, what the saints have run and like what the Rams have and all these, and even the Packers, they all have a receiving room that complements each other, you know, obviously not very much in green Bay, but you know, <laughs> they, they have a receiving room that complements each other. And, you know, in New Orleans, you have Michael Thomas, who's their version of Keenan Allen. And mm-hmm. then you have Trey Quan Smith, who's a deep threat. And then you have Emmanuel Sanders, who's a yards after catch guy. And with the Rams, you have Cooper cup, who's a yards after catch guy. And, and Robert Woods is the separator. They drafted Van Jefferson to be the deep guy. And so yeah, they have all these complimentary pieces. And with the Chargers, it's like you have a separator, you have a jump ball, and then you have two guys who can run really fast for a straight line. <laughs> right. And that's that's all we saw. And it's just like, you know, I would have loved to see more out of Joe Reed and KJ Hill, but I do ultimately think they should and probably will draft at least one receiver. Yeah, I agree. And, and they definitely should. So someone asked me on Twitter and I didn't respond to them. I wanted to see what you thought about this. And I think you've already answered this. So why is Tutu Atwell speedy as hell guy, my height who, uh, <laughs> and lighter. So I'm yeah. bigger than someone finally. Um, what makes him different than a guy like Guyton or Johnson then? You know, I think that is a good question and how skinny Tutu Atwell is. I think that's going to be, you know, a big concern for some people because he's listed at like 170. Like that's kind of outrageous yeah. for an NFL player, uh, you know, and Devonte Smith is going to have some of those same question yeah. marks and, you know, so, certain teams just, they like their receivers built a certain way and they're not sure. going to be able, they're not going to talk themselves into a guy who weighs 170 pounds and is five, nine, like, <laughs> but to me, like the difference between Tutu Atwell is that he brings yards after catch. Yeah. And, and he brings like, Louisville loved to motion him, hand him the ball off or toss him the ball. Mm-hmm. And he would get 10, 15 yards on those end arounds every single time. We all saw what Jalen Guyton did in end around situations and it wasn't very pretty. And that's just because he's fast, but he's not elusive. And I think that's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Chargers need is somebody that good can call. make people miss in space. So it's what made Austin Eckler so good because he can make people miss yards after contact kind of running back. And they need that as a receiver too. And I think Tutu is that because he can make people miss and be fast. Like you and I both saw him run deep routes and just roast people, roasting people. That yep. Louisville quarterback was awful. <laughs> like he's so bad. Tutu Atwell honestly should have had like a thousand yards in eight games this year. Like <laughs> yeah. he was burning people every play and the quarterback either like didn't feel comfortable or he would overthrow him or underthrow him. And there were other times where like he would throw him the ball and Tutu's like six, seven yards past somebody, but then he has to slow down and then catch the ball. Yeah, five like nine that, jumper. Yeah, like that's not happening with Justin Herbert, right? Like Justin Herbert is just gonna oh, uncork no. that thing. Yeah. So I think that was a good question by whoever asked that to you. But to me, 
like the difference of what the chargers need and what they have is they need elusiveness. Somebody that can mm-hmm. come in and get you, take a six yard pass or a handoff and make plays that other people can't. And to me, like, that's the, that's what people don't understand about Tyreek Hill. Like everybody mm-hmm. thinks that yeah. Tyreek Hill, the only thing he does is run fast and then run a straight line, but he's so elusive with the ball and it, with, his, with the ball in his hands and he makes people miss. And like, they'll hand in the ball off, they'll hand the ball off to him like six or seven times, you know, over the course of a couple of games. And that's really like the Henry Ruggs comparisons to Tyreek Hill never really worked for me because Henry Ruggs is just a straight line guy. And Jalen yeah. Waddle has a little bit of that elusiveness in terms of yards after catch. But again, he's more of just like a straight line guy. So I'm not saying Tutu Atwell is Tyree Kill, but to me, like stylistically, Tutu Atwell is more like Tyree Kill than a traditional burner like a Jalen Waddle or a Henry Ruggs. Tutu Atwell, man, there's something about, they're just like a, when you watch some guys, they just know how to, they just like have a fluid, floating kind of speed yeah a Tyreek Hill kind of has he just like it's it doesn't look fast but he just and he's by you and yeah. two <laughs> the same thing it's like I think he's fat and he just runs right by guys and it's like wow yeah. you know how did you get around you know how did you turn the corner like that it just looked so smooth he just looks so natural there whereas yeah like Jalen Guyton doesn't that's not really his thing it just looks unnatural for him to be able to do that so I'm all aboard it, honestly. If you want to have, you know, Joe Root and Tutu out, well, hey, that's not bad. Yeah. Like, if you're boarding like a fourth on Tutu or, you know, one of your thirds on him and you have Joe Reed, like, that's not bad. So I, I would, I would much, much rather have someone like Tutu out well in the third with either of those third round picks and Rayshon Slater and then, you know, Dylan Radunes or something, yeah. you know, in the first two rounds than Jalen Waddle. And then we're going with, you know, Radunes and then like Deontay Brown or something in you know in day three or whatever when i don't know when he's gonna go now like oh man it's bad i don't dude you it's so bad i can't believe anyway deontay brown man like (laughs) he's a he's a house like he's huge like i i don't think people really understand how big like 360 pounds is like I, i think people like you look at somebody who is like a very large person and you're like well that's a big person deontay brown's 360 pounds like he's a he is so good at the point of attack because he's so strong yeah but i don't know if anybody else watched the senior bowl uh, as much as i did but they called a screenplay and deontay brown had to go out and block a linebacker and and you just like you see the running back catch it and he looks at deontay brown <laughs> and he's like Shh. he's like shit this guy's not gonna get out of here for my yeah. block like the guy had no the chance man it was yeah. Oh man, he is just so big and slow, man. And I don't, you know, I don't know, like you can't play in the NFL and be that big and that slow. Like some team's going to draft him. I don't want him on the chargers. Like any part of me does not want him on the chargers. No, that would even fit what they're, uh, that doesn't really seem like a Telesco kind of guy anyway. So do you want to talk about offensive line or? uh, Yeah, why not? (laughs) All right, let's do it. So I've had this uh, thought in my head. It keeps, I keep coming back to it. It's irritating me. I don't agree with it, but I could see it happening. I think there's a shot Dan Feeney is back because it gives him draft flexibility. Yeah. I think there's a chance that he's back because you can plug him in either way. If you don't get your center, he can go there. If you get 
you know, your left guard, he can get, what did I just say? I don't know. Point is he can do one of those two things. I think that gives him a little bit more flexibility than like, I don't know, Sam Tevy or Forrest Lamp there. That's it's just been stuck in my head for some reason. And today that's the thing I've been chewing on. Now, yeah, I do think that one of Forrest Lamp or Dan Feeney will be starting in this upcoming season. I just mm-hmm. think, you know, when you're talking about Dan Feeney, like he was not great. Yeah. But it's so hard as a center to have six players take snaps at right guard. Like, yeah, that lack of continuity last year, like I know is frustrating and they do need talent upgrades, but the lack of continuity did not help anyone. And especially yeah. when you don't have an off season. So it's possible that, that Dan Feeney could improve in his second year as a starter. I would still like to see them you know, potentially draft like a Tyler Linderbaum later in the, in the draft to maybe get some competition. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that Feeney will be back. I think they probably will draft a left tackle. And then I yeah. think, I think they might address left guard in free agency. And then, you know, you mentioned Trey Turner. It, it's too smart to cut him. Like <laughs> it, it just makes so much <laughs> sense to, to get off of that, I think it's a $13 million cap hit and it would be a $2 million dead yeah. cap hit. So it just makes too much zero. sense. Oh, it's zero. Okay. I think it's zero to dead cap. So it's like and even better. So, yeah, you know, th- like this Tom Pelissero story, like adding that extra $6 million and he said it could even get up to, you know, a 190. Wow. That's a game changer for a team like the Chargers who could then realistically afford a Joe Thune or a Corey Lindsley and you know make a big splash offensive lineman signing because i do think that they will at least sign one offensive lineman to like a a bigger deal i mean tom telesco always does that like it yeah it hasn't really worked out <laughs> but i mean <laughs> russell okun was fine for two years but and yeah. mike pouncey was fine for the first year so it just hasn't worked out recently but i do expect them to draft a tackle in the first two round well, at least one of the first two rounds. And I think there will be a free agent signing starting at one of the guard spots. And then yeah, we'll see about Dan Feeney and force lamp. If you want a lineman, I think this is not that really history should bear weight really. Cause this doesn't really correlate, but whatever I'll say it, you know, if you want a lineman first year of Mike McCoy, they draft DJ Fluker in the first round. First year of Anthony Lynn, they take Forrest lamp, Dan Feeney, Sam Tevy. So it seems like for whatever reason, well, I know the reason because the line is ass. But, for, you know, the Chargers head coaches, whenever they come in, they want to draft linemen or at least take, yeah. you know, spend some priority picks. Um, I don't know if they – well, they signed King Dunlap, but that wasn't a big deal in 2013. It wasn't a big deal until they extended him later on. So I think Staley will – I think he will make that stamp just like Telesco has done for the last two coaches. So I, I think there's optimism here. I think there's something here. I will say I've also had this other nagging thought and that was kind of all of last year is that like they didn't really expect Tyrod or they didn't expect Justin Herbert to start last year. Like they didn't, they were going to let Tyrod Taylor just die behind that line. (laughs) And it turns out he died in the locker room on the the medical table. So I really like, I kind of feel like Tom Telesco just brought in some pieces or let these other guys, you know, you know, test how they were going to be, you know, Feeney, Lamp, Tevi. And then I think this year, I think they're going to start, like actually building yeah. an offensive line. Cause I think this was the year that they were planning for. And they had, they just had no idea that Herbert was going to be the starter in, you know, 60 minutes. Yeah, man, that, that's crazy. So I do, I do agree. I, I, you know, I think Brandon Staley has talked so much about building this team around Justin Herbert and how excited mm-hmm. he is. So 
I think that he knows, like, if you watch the, if you watch two games of the Chargers, man, you immediately <laughs> know, like, this line was so bad last so year. Bad. And, you know, Cole Toner was on the practice squad and he was their best right guard. Like, it's, it's just wild how bad they were. Um, and I think Tom Telesco knows too that like his his seat is gonna get hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows that Justin Herbert right now is his saving grace. He has to know that. So Good I point. would I would think that would mean a, a big time emphasis on on uh, on developing and drafting and signing free agent free agent linemen. So we'll see. I, I I can't imagine they don't take one at thirteen. Or you mentioned the possibility of trading back because it's just. It's been so long since they drafted, yeah. You know, DJ Fluker being your your best drafted tackle <laughs> is kind of terrible. Like, yeah, I think Tom Telesco is going to take a couple swings at drafting a tackle this year, and he should because they need it. It's also just cost effective to draft some of these guys. Absolutely, like there's some really expensive. You know, you you can get a twenty. I don't know how old they like twenty nine, twenty eight year old like Dooney and um, Lindsley, but. Just, just get that twenty-two-year-old Slater, Darisaw, whoever it is. Yeah. D. Okay. Are you pretty much out on the whole idea? I'm not. I'm just going on tangents now. I don't even know where we're going anymore. <laughs> are you pretty much out on the idea that the Chargers are going to take Slater? Like, I love, I love Slater. I've bumped him up in my grades, but I mean, it's the it's the height issue. We talked about the O line coach has yeah. never drafted a guy, you know, shorter than six six. Not that he drafted them. But the Steelers during his time there never drafted a guy under six six to play tackle until the seventh round. So do you think Slater is just like they're out on that idea, you think? Or is that or does Staley just not care because he prefers I don't know if really Staley has much input though? I mean, I personally like I think that the Chargers front office would look at Rayshon Slater as a guard. Okay. And really that's what it comes down to me. I also I don't think he's gonna be available. Like Mm, you know, yeah. I, I think the hype around Rayshon Slater has been building and building and building. And you know, Daniel Jeremiah is very selective about who he like hypes up. Mm-hmm. You know, like today, for example, he posted a, a tweet about a cornerback from Kentucky. You bet your ass <laughs> I'm going to go study that corner from Kentucky tomorrow <laughs> afternoon right. because he's very selective about these things. And, yeah. you know, he the, he's not an end all be all kind of person, like absolutely form your own opinions. But I think the fact that he is has Rayshon Slater above a Panay Sewell mm-hmm. has more to do with what he is hearing than what he is seeing. Because, okay, you know, I think Panay Sewell is, is a generational offensive tackle, but he just turned 20. Like, he's super young. He's God, definitely, I know, it's insane, man. Like, you watch the kind of blocks he makes, and you're just like, you're 19 years old. Like, how? <laughs> You know, it's just insane. So I do think that somebody and multiple teams would probably look at Rayshon Slater as a more polished prospect and therefore talk themselves. Like the Cincinnati Bengals need someone to come in and be an all-pro tackle right now. Yep. So if the Bengals took Rayshon Slater at five, Panace would falls a little bit. That would not surprise me one bit. So then there's the next part of the question. Got a couple of thirds. Mathematically, I think you could jump from 13 to 10 with your first third round pick. How are you feeling if Sewell's there? To me, I think I would love Panay Sewell on this team. I I obviously, you know, like I feel so strongly about him and I've been, you know, you know, stamp of approval, like standing on the table, you know, that's me and Panay Sewell. So 
Yeah. I would love him on the Chargers. I think Tom Telesco is not going to trade up. I think Tom Telesco realizes how many holes he has on this mm-hmm. roster. And I think trading back is much more likely than trading up. And, you know, I love everybody. I know everybody loves the the potential of getting Benesul to protect Justin Herbert, just like the good old days. Uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. That's really boring, Steven. <laughs> I didn't, nobody wanted to hear that, Steven. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Um, um, I would just hate another scenario where, like, I, I think the rumors were the Chargers were going to draft Jamal Adams, and then the Jets took him for whatever reason, and we're like, why did you take him? And then it was going with Mike Williams. I would just be so bummed if Tanae was right there at pick, like, 11 or 12, and then just yeah. somebody takes him, and you could have used your second, third-round pick just to move up a little bit. So... But I, what I will say is I don't advocate for using both third-round picks to move up. If they're going to do it, I wouldn't mind using one. Both would be a stretch for me. I know Panacea is good, but, I mean, shoot, even if you like Slater more than Sewell, I mean, I don't. But I don't. I, you need players. You can't go from four picks to two in the top. I think it's, yeah. they have three in the top 100 and four in the top 120, I think Daniel Popper said. Yeah. Yeah, you, can't, you, just, you just can't and sacrifice. need all of those, honestly. Yeah. Because there's going, there's going to be, it's not just the holes for this season. It's the holes for next season. We need like the charges are preparing for Brian Balaga to be gone. They have to, they have to prepare for him to be gone in five games and then and out for the season. So yeah, I'm not advocating for both third round picks, but I would, I mean, if we'll do the draft coverage live and if they are two picks away from Penesuel, I will be screaming at the computer, screaming, losing my mind. Oh man. And then they'll disappoint me by drafting Jerry Tillery again. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so bad. You know, so I ha- I have this uh, Google document of of my notes on all these prospects, right? And I'm up I'm up to 15 pages, 16 pages now mm. after the Senior Bowl, uh, and I've got like three or four sentences on every one. And then if they participated in the Senior Bowl, I've got a little a couple sentences about that too. Um, if you, I'm going to share this obviously with our Patreon supporters uh, once they, the time comes for that. Uh, for Trevor Lawrence, I just put he good. And then for Penesul, I put best tackle prospect since Joe Thomas, in my opinion. Like it's as yeah. simple as that to me. Like, sure, Ray Sean Slater is a little more technically refined, but Penesul, man, like the athleticism that he has at 315 pounds, and I think he's six six and he's 20 years old. Like the upside for Penesul is outrageously high. Like, mm-hmm. I think in two years from now, we're talking about Penesul as the best left tackle in the sport. Like, he has that type of ceiling, and he's got Hall of Fame potential written all over him, perennial pro bowler, perennial all-pro guy. And so, yeah, of, of course, like, if it were me, I would definitely trade up to get Penesul, <laughs> man. Like, but I think Tom Telesco is looking at this roster and looking at a coaching change, going, you know, we need outside linebackers. We need corners. Yeah, we need We need all five offensive line spots. <laughs> Yeah. We might need a running back. We might need a receiver. We need a backup quarterback. Like our special True. teams is atrocious. Like we need, <laughs> honestly, right. like special teams yeah. is so bad. So mm-hmm. I think he's going to, if anything, he probably will trade back. I think that's a very likely situation, at least try to. But then again, you know, I could see a team like Washington, you know, looking at their roster thinking, you know what, we're a quarterback away. We're going to trade up to number 10 and draft Mac Jones. So, you know, in that case, you know, if there's five quarterbacks drafted in the top 13, I think that would be a great situation for the chargers. 
this conversation has just gone off off the rails man i love it's it it's been a year we still don't know what we're doing <laughs> <laughs> oh man but i i would love panay on the chargers man it would just be such a cool thing to see and he's so so good and the upside is ridiculous um but i like samuel cosme a lot too and you know, I know we talked about him and, and you watch a game like his game against Oklahoma and you're like, dude, this guy has it. Unfortunately, yeah. it's just a little too inconsistent for some people's liking. And I get that. And I was going to do a, I'm going to do a Samuel Cosme breakdown eventually, but awesome. You know, Cosme to me is like the, you know, if Justin Herbert was the ex, like a lot of Cosme for me is like me trying to imagine what he's going to be. And that's mm. something that I didn't really do with Justin Herbert, you know, it was just yeah. looking at what he was in that offense. Right. And so Cosme has a lot of issues and he's, he's definitely got to get stronger. But to me, I think athletically mobility wise, he just has more upside than a guy like Christian Derrissaw, in my opinion. And so my grade on him is, is it's a lot of like projecting and, and looking at the potential. Yeah, there. true. Yeah, that's the thing about these. I don't know. We keep going tangents. Whatever. Here we go. No one's <laughs> listening anymore. It's like four people. It's probably like my mom, Brian, Brooke, your your wife, and there we go. That's about it. Um, whatever. Yeah, it's, my grades are interesting. I hope people don't take my grades super seriously. I hope they take what I write about the players a little bit more seriously because, like, some guys just the way we grade them, I don't like them as much. But like, I would take Cosme over. No, I wouldn't take him over Darisaw, but I would take him over. Like, if I have. Sertan graded higher than him and i think i might i would i would still take like cosme over him because it's not just like i you know cosme is as a worse player he's not or maybe he is right now but yeah like you said the projection and trying to make them you know see what they're going to eventually be and you're right you're spot on with the justin herbert thing that is one of the things i learned last year i didn't really you know watch anybody other than quarterbacks and i didn't watch a whole lot of herbert anyway you know, but I, I was just so stuck on, well, here's what he did. You know, he just did the clap and he threw yeah. the ball and he clapped and he missed and he clapped and he, like, he didn't do a whole lot, but like, you just, it's so funny because I had to watch Panay Sewell for, for this draft breakdown and whatnot. You go back and watch Herbert and then you actually can see now what the chargers might've seen while they were watching him. Because I was like, yeah. Oh, that's exactly the throw Herbert would have made to Keenan Allen in this play or the way he extends and throws like, so it's very interesting that you you mentioned Justin Herbert because I feel the same way. Like that's exactly what I one of the things that I learned from the past year for sure. Okay, continue. <laughs> no, I I think that that selection of Justin Herbert and how it has panned out really taught me a lot as someone mm-hmm. who looks at these players because you know like I'll look at somebody like a Rondell Moore out of Purdue. To me, that guy probably should play running back, and so like. Mm. Like if I grade him as a running back and somebody that I think could be a running back future or like a Ty Montgomery type who can do a little bit of both, that's going to change how I feel about him. And it's going to change what my grade is on him versus if I'm just grading him as a receiver, I don't like him at all. (laughs) Um, But if I'm thinking to myself like, oh, I could see this potentially turning into somebody, uh, you know, who could do like Joe Reed stuff and and do some running back things, then that's going to change how I feel about him. Cool. All right. Bring us something, Steven. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, this has been fun. Obviously, we've covered a lot of different topics here. <laughs> um, you know, I want to talk about our Patreon page for a second because we do have a lot of good sure. stuff coming there. Alex right now is carrying the load in terms of film breakdowns. Um, our film breakdowns are going to be on our Patreon page for a week, and you have to access them at the $3 tier or higher. 
you know, you get exclusive rights on our film breakdowns and all three of us are going to do, start doing them at some point. You know, I'm trying to get some all 22 film for all these guys and specifically like a, a Samuel Cosme. So I'm working on it. I'll get there as well. Um, and then we have our one year anniversary giveaway, which is that framed picture of Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen, uh, which I'm really excited about because I bought one and I was like, I want to give this away to someone else too. Um, so our Patreon page has a lot of cool information uh, and stuff that we're going to do throughout the draft process because I know not everybody listening to this has the time to sit and watch film or access to all 22 like we do. And so we want to be able to share that with people uh, and give them some resources about these players because you know, the draft is just much more fun when you know about players, right? Like it, it's so much more it fun is. talking about a Christian Derrissaw when you have an actual opinion about him. So uh, definitely check out our Patreon page. We're, we're going to be pumping out a lot of high quality content. Um, and that includes our Patreon Q and A's, which brings me to the, my last point here. We're going to do a live Q and A reaction on Friday. So this is going to come out on Thursday. So this is your notice, right? Tomorrow morning, we're going to be doing a Patreon Q and A live on YouTube. And so you guys will definitely want to tune into that. Again, our Patreon page, is just a really cool way for us to interact with you. Uh, and even if it's just the $1 a month, we appreciate all that support. Yeah. Alex's microphone didn't pay for itself. <laughs> yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we had to pay for our own. Yeah. So Alex was able to, to use some Patreon money, but that's okay, man. And it's just a fun way to, like I said, interact with us. Uh, and I also will say, if you do support us on Patreon, we do have a guilty as charged group message, uh, which has been blowing up my phone as we have been recording this, uh, talking about the cap and stuff like that. So uh, make sure and check out our Patreon page. It has a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, we just want to be able to interact with you guys in ways that, you know, um, we might not be able to without Patreon. And so um, definitely check that out. Tyler, that was a good episode, man. It was a long one. Hopefully people enjoy that, the different kind of tangents, but I thought it was a lot of good information um and hopefully alex is doing okay with his family situation and uh marty schottenheimer man i don't know you know what the diagnosis there is completely but yeah i'm hoping for the best there as well yeah i know that was a lot of fun really enjoyed doing this episode went a little long i thought we started later than we did so i was looking at the clock and i realized oh it's been an hour so everyone who's still here thanks for being here and anyone who's been here for the last year thank you for being here as well really appreciated yeah, working with not working with you guys talking with you guys and uh you know building a community i think every time we do a little podcast crossover or whatever you know the comments are always wow this fan base is really growing it's so cool to see these podcasts or the community come together and so yeah. i think we're all you know for us chargers brawl locked on charger chat all these guys are you know we're all building something really cool here so um let's keep it up bolt up guys yeah, absolutely. I think that's well said. Uh, you know, I was just able to record something with Charger Chat about the Senior Bowl. It was a lot of fun. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited about where all of us are headed together. Yeah. Um, so that's going to do us for us today, guys. Like I said, make sure and tune in to that live show tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to answer some questions and hopefully get out a, a good piece of content. And uh, well, we will see you then. And thanks for tuning in. Take care.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.